Nobody wants to end up in family court, but if you do, you want an honest, experienced family law attorney by your side to help minimize the stress, mental anguish, and legal costs that divorce and custody matters bring. Welcome to In Your Best Interest. Texas divorce attorney and entrepreneur Justin Sizemore of the Sizemore Law Firm, entrepreneur Andrea Jones, freelance writer Mary Maloney, and guests share insight on what to expect and how to handle family law matters, the changing landscape of family law, and living the entrepreneur's life. Now, on to the show. It's not unusual for emotions to run high during divorce, but acrimony between some couples can escalate from minor to major disagreements and a divorce wrought with conflict. During this podcast, we'll discuss high-conflict divorces, explain what qualifies as a high-conflict divorce, share steps you can take to protect yourself and children during a contentious divorce, and what to expect during the divorce process. Good morning, everybody. Hey, this is Mary Maloney, and Justin, I have a introductory question for you. You know that divorce obviously is never easy, but the tension and acrimony between couples can really heat up after a while. Can you explain to people listening what qualifies as a high conflict divorce and how often you see those cases in your practice, kind of like a percentage of which cases those are actually that occur? Yeah, I think I think a lot of people, uh, when they go through the terms and deal with the question of high conflict divorce, they they tend to associate that with more of an angry tone. Okay, so and obviously there are the angry tone divorces. We try to minimize the emotion or the emotional side of a divorce, but a high conflict divorce can be really defined as one in which two parties don't see eye to eye as far as asset valuation or terms uh, when it comes to agreements uh, for the children or who has specific rights. And so just because it's considered a high conflict divorce, I, I think that misnomer, it's really a misnomer. It gets thrown around a little too much. And I would suggest that the best way to define a high conflict divorce is really to define what the underlying issues are and fundamentally uh, how far apart the parties are in getting to a resolution of those matters. So um, I think that is a broad way of answering what the definition of a high conflict divorce uh, case is. But we, we see a lot more of that now uh, than we ever have with COVID and you know all the changes in society. And you know, really, it, it drives so many different things. You've got things like supply chain, things like business valuations really moving the needle a lot, okay? and And obviously, when you have experts and other people to resolve these issues, uh, that are in high demand and highly sought after, you run into a situation where you know just the time alone in a divorce process can create a lot of conflict as far as resolution of the deal structure and the asset side. And then you know obviously with all the differences of societal views of what's going on uh, with the kiddish, you know, and and really needing a tiebreaker, you you can create scenarios where you know parties just fundamentally disagree, even if it's not super acrimonious. Uh, they might disagree on an issue, and that creates a, the definition of the term conflict or disagreement. So as a follow-up to that, in your experience, Justin, what kind of fallout do you see people experiencing during a high-conflict divorce? And that could be potentially emotional. It could be, I mean, sometimes there's domestic violence. And, and we want to talk about how that affects kids as well, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I preach from the pulpit a lot when it comes to getting divorces over with. Okay. I see a lot of people that drag cases on and on and they just, they're not very proactive with them. Okay. So even if you start out with this fundamental understanding of how you want to resolve conflict with your spouse, 
what happens is over time, we've, we've said sometimes time heals things and time does heal things in certain circumstances with respect to custody. But um, when you're in a situation where you've got you know, property hanging over one party's head. You know, it's like the the parent that holds the the property over their kid's head until they really reach the point of, of death so that they can make sure that their kids take care of them. It's the same thing in a divorce case. If it drags on too long, it really creates that scenario where, you know, the kids become involved. You can feel the emotion, the tensions there. Um, and one side may be completely checked out and the other side is really still on that emotional roller coaster. And, and the side that's checked out, you know, so what we see oftentimes is the, you know, they appear cold. Okay. And that's, that's a tough feeling, especially when you've got a long marriage, uh, a lot of kids or kids and assets going on. Uh, it's a tough feeling to be in a scenario where one party is checked out and the other party is, and, and therefore trying to make it a business transaction. The other party is still trying to get over the emotional aspect. So that's kind of that wedge that happens. And you know, the scales, I always say the scales kind of tip back and forth about who wants the divorce, who doesn't, who feels that they got you know, unjustly enriched or unfair or unfairly treated in the process and who didn't. So we see scenarios where that that really is the fuel or gasoline on the brush fire, where uh, especially when kids are involved, um, it creates a lot bigger wedge between the parties. So that's one of the things we try to focus on is is really getting people out of the way of the the conflict and the stress of divorce. And, and being proactive with the clients, like really talking to them, telling them the next step, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Preparing their mindsets for what that looks like. And we weren't always great at it. We, get, we just get better at it like you do in any business. Uh, but preparing them for the next step is, the, is probably the most fundamental thing that avoids some of the stress. Because if you know, listen, mediation is not coming up for three months and we're sending some discovery documents back and forth, but client, don't worry about, we're not going to have many calls or meetings between now and then. Even though this is on your mind, the divorce case is on your mind, you have a roadmap and a plan. Mary, Mary we're talking right before the podcast about the, the whole concept of building a house or remodeling a house. It's the same process. If you know what's happening and you know how it's going to happen, there may be some budgets that get off and some things that happen. Uh, but if you have a good plan, that conflict gets minimized at least on one side of the coin. And that's all we can do is manage it on our side. You know, I'd really like to get Andrea's perspective on this also, because she, as we all know, went through a high conflict divorce and custody battle. Andrea, can you kind of explain from your perspective what that felt like and how you got through it? Yes, I think the first thing you have to think about when you go through divorce that I think a lot of couples kind of forget, I did too, is what was the marriage like, right? So if the marriage, and there's different personalities in, in a marriage, and I think everybody that Justin talks to nowadays says, oh, my, my future ex-husband or my future ex-wife is a narcissist. That's the first word that they use. And then he has to kind of like figure this out and talk to them about not every person or if every person that gets divorced is a narcissist, we have 50% of the population being narcissist. I think that's not true. But um, so I think it has a lot to do with your own personality. And for me, I think the biggest thing was my uh, ex-husband was a high conflict person to start out with, right? And I was a more codependent person. And I learned that over the process of divorce and going to counseling, codependent meaning that that my family was everything, everything surrounded about my family and in our relationship was kind of codependent too, meaning he called the shots that I kind of like followed. So when you then get divorced, you, I think the thing that I always wanted him to have is that epiphany 
um, how to really co-parent and how to really make this work. But again, if he didn't get it in 18 years of relationship, he's not going to get it during the divorce process. And as a codependent person, and again, I'm not a counselor. So if you feel like you are, then you need to talk to a counselor. But for me, it was, I want him to, to, um, understand I wanted to and then as a codependent person you re-engage meaning if he sends me 10 emails a day I felt I had to respond I felt I had to explain and all those things lead to a lot of conflict because I cannot make him understand how to raise the kids or how to change his mind and and that's why it's so important to have a good divorce lawyer that kind of guides you because as the way I was he did some um, I mean unbelievable things like I had kids in a just one example I had kids in a house um, in September, babies, and he would turn the electricity off, would turn the power off, would turn the phone off, would turn the water off. And I'm sitting there with kids um, that had no food, right? He wouldn't pay child support. He wouldn't pay, uh, he wouldn't pay the spousal support on time. There's so many things and the kids and I had to go through, put a, put a thing on my car that my car couldn't move. I was just vicious. But the, the conflict, I think, mostly came from me trying to make it work and it didn't work. And that's... Um, that's what's one thing. That's why I said that you have to have a good divorce attorney that kind of guides you. Whatever the other person is saying is not a fact. They know as much about divorce as you do means nothing unless they've been divorced five times. The divorce attorney knows how the process that Justin was mentioning um, works and what can and what cannot happen. I was threatened with he's going to take my kids away and he's going to deport me to Germany. I mean, all those things he said and being codependent, I took everything he said for face value Everything that he said was a fact, and I felt I had to constantly re-engage and set the record straight and make it work, and that didn't work. And then when Justin told me, let's just de-engage, let us handle the process, let us handle all of this, and you talk to me and not talk to him, when we started doing that, the, the whole conflict was... Um, or got better. I can own again, like I said last time, I can only keep my street and uh, my side of the street clean. Meaning if I do the right thing and if I do not engage in conflict and if I try to do everything right, the other person kind of like runs against the wall. And that's how we started doing this. And then over the t over time, I got better and better in disengaging and just letting the law firm handle everything. And I just worried about the kids and me and not what he said or what he did. And that's, that's what got me through this. So yeah, yeah on that point too, like, you know, one of the things that she brought up, Mary, that's important is you, you need to be able to trust a professional. But I see a lot of cases too, where, you know, professionals or people that call themselves professionals don't handle their job, right? So there is a balance between laying out a roadmap and a plan and sticking to that plan. Okay. Because I, I've, I've seen cases where, and I've, I've been a part of them, where the other side doesn't do anything for literally eight months. We're sending letters and there's non-responsiveness. They're not calling their clients back. I think it's really important for the clients to go in there, understand the plan, understand when these things are supposed to happen, and literally put that on their calendar. Okay. He said about three to four months, there's going to be a mediation. It's been six months. Why don't we have mediation? He said that a couple of months later, there's going to be discovery in between the temporary orders and the mediation. Why has nothing been sent yet? How come nobody's reached out to me? And that's an okay question to ask. And, you know, I will tell, I will be the first to fall on the sword, you know, and thankfully, Andrea and I, you know, gotten so close over these years because she's seen the evolution of our practice and she knows. You know, when you start a business, you're learning a lot of things and you're creating who you are and how you are as an individual, how you are as a business person. 
and then how you conduct yourself, how you conduct your business, most importantly. So long-winded way of saying that it's okay for clients to have questions, okay? But when lawyers charge by the hour, don't pick up the phone and have 38 questions in 38 different phone calls and 38 different emails that need 38 different responses. Because what Andrea was talking about too, is having those questions answered in real time is mission critical. So if you have one question and you don't get it answered for four days, and then you have two more, and then it's four more days, you're going to drive yourself crazy through the process. And, and you shouldn't feel that way anyway. The lawyer should do a good job of setting that out in the beginning. But, but it's really important that that roadmap is laid out so that Andrea doesn't have those feelings, like it's driving her crazy, right? And, and we preach that a lot. And I'll tell you, I've got seven lawyers here. You know, you have to push the reset button with each individual person and let them know this is a service-based organization, right? We, the clients are expected to treat us with respect. We're expected to treat them with respect and serve them through the process. But that being said, I don't want to wait and not know what's happening next. If you're a professional, pick up the phone, look at your calendar, talk to the client, let them know and engage what the next step is. And I don't care what business that is. It doesn't matter whether it's law, contractors, or whatever. you got to engage and you got to set that out. So I just wanted to pick up on that point because I think Andrea hit the nail on the head there. And I think what, what, what you do well now over the years and having so many lawyers because that's a, I, that was very important for me too in the process to have a lawyer that that matches your personality. Because I was like, because I was in this country with four little kids and no family here and felt kind of lost with all the stuff going on. And I needed somebody kind of like to hold my hand. But then there's, there are other people out there that rather want a bullet point. They just want bullet points. Leave me alone until the next hearing is. And I want bullet points. Yeah, And then there's everything uh, in between. And I think that makes a big difference in, a law for, in, in, a, in picking a law when you pick a lawyer. And again, I was lucky back then to work with Justin's mom back then and then with Justin that, that I had a lawyer that, that, that matched my personality. And then Justin is very straightforward and will put you in your place and said, okay, now, now you need to shut up now and we'll talk about this later. I mean, but that's the kind of tough love you need because the emotions go so high. And then another thing that I want to also reemphasize is, yes, your lawyer is not your psychologist and not your counselor and nothing like that. So you need other people outside the, the, the law firm to help you with your emotions to talk to. I'm a big fan of counselling because, again, you find out stuff about yourself and you can only fix yourself, can't fix the other person. And in going to counselling and seeking a counsellor for yourself and often for the kids, you, you can help yourself and then you help your lawyer help you get through the process. So it's a, it's a team effort, I think. And the lawyer is not the person to call for every little detail because, again, they're charged by the hour, but call them and contact them with the things that you need to have answered. And as a follow-up to that, you guys, you know, one thing that people are searching for online is how they can protect themselves during divorce, especially during a contentious high conflict divorce. And obviously it depends on the case, as we all know, but Justin, can you kind of weigh in on some steps that people can take to protect themselves, of course, um, with the help of an attorney, you know, legally, physically, if there's domestic violence, emotionally, perhaps you want to see a counselor and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm actually going through this right now with a close friend of mine's younger sister. Uh, it's a great question. I want to follow up on one quick thing Andrea said before um, we get to that. When we talk about multiple attorneys, Andrea pointed out this question about multiple attorneys and putting the right personality points together. And that's going to really segue into your next question, Mary. But people need to understand that when they're selecting a lawyer um, or a law firm, 
that person's name that they attach to the case or to the assignment of, of what happens in that case is, is very critical. The passion that they have to make sure that the, the client is taken care of in that process and the dedication they have to their brand is, is also critical. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because I get the question a lot, well, Justin, I want you. And I'm like, you're going to get me, but there's steps in between that I don't need to deal with every issue on. So segueing into the family violence part and the advice and, and how we handle those situations, um, I just want to give this by way of example. On, on Friday, I, I, I went for my brother's birthday down in Mexico, and I get a call on, Sunday, on Saturday that the client basically had you know, past issues of family violence with this person, that this person, you know, she was afraid of them, wouldn't move out, and, and wanted to stay in the, question, in the equation. And I'm sitting here going, okay, I have to tell a judge that you're afraid for your safety and fear of family violence but you won't leave and you're trying to reconcile the marriage, right? And, and you won't take steps to, to move away from that. And I'm not discounting the fact that battered women syndrome is not real because it is, or battered spouse syndrome. Um, it is real. You get stuck in situations. I mean, we all know how human trafficking happens, right? People literally get moved from one place to another, cut off from ties, cut off from family, cut off from finances, you know, made to feel inadequate, left in a situation. You know, we know how that happens. It's the same thing, you know, in an emotionally abusive relationship or a physically abusive relationship. <clears throat> and the reason I bring the, uh, all of the firm and the team into this equation is because on Saturday, you know, one of my lawyers is reaching out to this person and, and trying to really help them, but let them know we can't do anything until the court's open. Right. And I get a call on Sunday that's basically like law firm, you're the devil because you didn't do anything on a Saturday, right? And so the reason I want people to understand how to think through this process and plan for this is lawyers are not miracle workers. Your psychologists are not miracle workers. Your family can help. These people can help you, but you really have to lay out this plan of the process. And if there is a high conflict or a family violence situation, think first, okay, get safe first, call the police first, make a report, okay, get a police officer out there to protect your safety, get a few of your things, leave the house, go with your family members. And, and look, I'm I not- go to a hotel. I mean, like yeah. I back then didn't have family here. I went to a hotel. I was afraid there was police called. The police didn't, which is bad, but the police didn't do anything because I wasn't bleeding. That was like mm -hmm. very irritating because I had a concussion. And then I, the next morning when he went to work, I packed a few things, put stuff that was valuable to me in a friend's house, the pictures and stuff like that. And I left the house with the kids. And then I contacted the lawyer and then we went from there. But you have to, you have to leave if it is dangerous for you or for your kids you have to leave. And there's enough places out there if you don't have family that you can go enough places. Yeah. And please understand when I say, when I say this, I'm not meaning to sound condescending at all. What happens when you're in a highly emotional state, right? You literally feel like every time you have to lift your hand to do anything, you, your mind can sometimes completely shut down. And, you know, we've all been overwhelmed with work or stress or whatever it is. Think about that. And then you add family violence into the equation or divorce into the equation. I mean, things that just keep piling on your plate. And I, you know, I hear a thousand times, God never gives you more than you can handle. You, you can always get out of it. Well, sometimes he pushes you right to the point where you're like, I don't know if I can do this. Right. And so 
Point being, the, the the questions I get a lot of times, and I used to kind of chuckle at them because I'm like, why is a client asking me how to change their electricity bill? Right? Why is a client asking me what they should do in the event that somebody hits them? Call the police, call your electric company. But but it's a it's a mindset. And it, it, and when you shut that mindset down, the only person sometimes in your mind that's there to save the day is the attorney. And the attorney may be on vacation. Maybe they have something go really wrong in their life, right? And, and you call them on a Saturday night at two o'clock in the morning, and because they didn't send a response to you, all of a sudden they don't care, okay? And, and I think that it's important to, for, for parties listening to this to lay that out, like really understand the attorney's job is to be compassionate. The attorney's job is to address these issues. But with respect to minimizing conflict, when you have a high conflict individual or <clears throat> somebody that is, is abusive. Uh, I don't, I don't hold back as an attorney. I go in, I file a protective order. I expect an affidavit to come immediately. I set that within 21 days. It's a kickout order, uh, requests no access to the children, no access to the residents. I don't care whether you think you may get back together in the future or whether you think you, you guys may be amicable in the future. I'm interested in protecting your safety now. And if you tell me that the family violence has occurred in the past and is likely to occur in the future, I push gas pedal and go, okay? Because I've had clients get killed. I've had clients that people didn't take seriously and, and very te terrible things happened to them. And I used to go, well, it's a protective order. It's a piece of paper. What does it do? What it does is when someone is a creeping around the corner and stalking your house and within a thousand feet of your residence or place of business or calling you hundreds of times and texting you and starting to escalate because they're not getting that rise out of you that they expect. What that document does is says, police officer, this person needs to be taken out of this situation so that the person on the receiving end of this is at least protected for a second longer than we could have without this document. And so I don't take these family violence stuff lightly. You go do what I do for 15 years and you watch children and people be beaten and abused and all this stuff. And you tell me that you can sit back and wait. Okay. So I, I, family violence is very serious to me, but when it comes to, you know, things that, that aren't as serious when, and, and we go all over the spectrum with this, when, and, and when I say aren't as serious, when things don't need to be immediately remedied, have some understanding and patience of that, because that's going to make the case go smoother and it's going to make you live a better life throughout the case. And keep in mind, when you got kids, this case isn't over with until they're 18 or graduate high school, right? So the fact that I'm here today and I can help you through these equations at random hours and different times, and I, I'm always on my phone, so I, I'll answer the phone real time anytime, doesn't change the fact that when the case is over with, you've got to deal with this. And if us as the law firm and you know people like Andrea that we work with in business and make our process better, if we don't help you do that on your own, it's the same thing as a country just walking in and, and fighting the war for somebody else and then leaving and expecting everything to be okay. And it doesn't work that way. I, I think that's really huge is that I, I, when you're in that situation that you have to get to the point where you not going to do anything and where you decide that you are going to do something, especially if you have kids, because those kids could get hurt as well as you. I mean, that's, it's, it's a big jump to take, but that's what it's going to take to 
And it's a weird it, to me. It was a weird thing to do, right? Because you think like you think of 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 uh, family violence being more than what you potentially endured. But again, you never know what it can go to, what it can escalate to. And if you are afraid, like I was, if you are afraid, then you need to take the next steps. Like and just people- said, you can always go back. You can backpack. And, and again, to, and then the other thing I think is important to understand: a protective order is not protecting you one hundred percent. So you still need to be. Um, safe and and even if you move to a friend's house again talk to your lawyer what's good what's not good but safe to move to a friend's house or be somewhere where you feel safe you have to feel safe because divorce itself is emotionally so so um draining and and just like i said last time in the last podcast this black tunnel you go through no matter how positive you are as a person before you go into this um and if you then put the fear on top of that besides the emotional uh, heartache, then it's, it's, I mean, it's unbearable. So you need to protect yourself. Well, and true, truly true emotional abusers, true narcissists, true, true physical abusers, they learn this behavior over time, right? So if they don't get the rise out of you this time, they might escalate. They escalate and then they are more physically violent. You're terrified. They pull back. And then all of a sudden, I love you. This will never happen again. The embarrassment, all those things come into play. Okay. And, and I really do get it. Uh, as much as I say I don't represent victims, I know I represent victims. I don't like to represent a mentality of a person that feels like they can never get themselves out of the equation. And maybe they can't do it themselves, right? They they may need their church or their family or their friends, uh, their professionals. So I don't represent people that just are negative at all costs, right? And no matter what I say, well, no, you don't understand. You can't get this. You can't possibly understand this. I'm like, listen, I've done over 2000 divorces. I've heard your story many, many, many times. Okay. You have a different face, a different name. We have to address these issues, but your story has been heard and been litigated and dealt with over and over again, unfortunately. And so if you'll trust the people that have done this a whole lot and they're doing their job, uh, you know, we can get through this process. So as a final question for you, Justin, you often say you're not a proponent of divorce, um, which is ironic coming from a divorce attorney, but you've told us that a million times. But when conflict is high in a divorce, when is divorce generally a better option for the parties involved, especially kids versus hanging in there and sticking it out? Yeah. So as far as as far as why I don't or why I'm not a proponent for divorce, obviously, you know, people have their spiritual beliefs. I happen to be a Christian. I love all races, all religions, all anything, right? But I happen to be a Christian. I happen to understand the Bible very well. Um, and I separate a lot of my my personal and spiritual beliefs from the practice of law, okay? Um, and that is not because I, I don't want to provide my beliefs and help people. It's because uh, I want to make sure that people know that they're in a comfortable space, okay? I repre- I've represented every single possible denomination of faith you can ever imagine. And I've seen all different aspects of it. Um, and and th- when I say I'm not a proponent of divorce, um, I know people are like, well, you do this for a living. Yeah, but but I'm a human, right? Um, I don't like people to shoot people and be beat people and be bad to kids. And, and, and I don't think divorce is good for our society. And my, my mission really in the last five years, um, it should have been all the way through, but in the last five years is to change the perception from, well, let me just get this case because I heard a set of facts. I went to law school, learned how to pair up the facts with the law, right? Two, do you really need to hire a lawyer? 
Okay. That's why we do paid consults. Uh, Andrea and I talked about this a lot. She, where there was a big debate going on. Do you do paid consults? Should you meet in person? Should you be on the phone? What we try to do is provide a service. Okay. And that service involves for me being able to help and touch as many people as I can with it being me giving the advice, setting up the team. Because at the end of the day, when you say Sizemore's terrible or Sizemore's law firm didn't do what I expect them to do, I can own it. I can say, you're right. I didn't like the way that this was done. Um, and so what we've, what we've accomplished um, in the process of the consult is really steering away from divorce if need be, okay? Or steering away from the case if need be on a modification or a custody case. Um, and I, I think that the, the value for me is, look, I, I still get paid to do a consult. I'm not like sitting here you know, just churning and burning and every one of my employees are losing money and we're not going to be able to feed each other the next day. But, but by the same token, you know, we've, we're very engaged and invested in the whole process. Uh, and it can't be one of the hardest things I do now, Mary, is like when I know that the person's not the right fit, I know that the party is like a, a really bad apple and I don't want to represent them and they really want us to. The hardest thing we do as a lawyer at the at the inception stages is to say, "Hey, we're not the right fit." And they're like, "Wait a minute, I just paid you for a consult. I'm the client. You're going to do what I say." I'm like, "Well, it it doesn't really work that way." And and I'm not being rude or you know arrogant when I say that. I really want people to pair up with the right fit. Yeah. So so and Mary, I may be bouncing around this question, but some attorneys, if you say the world is flat they will agree with you just because they're your client and they're like literally in the case with you. Like they feel like they live with you. And cl- some clients love that. My, my attorney is fighting for me. My attorney is emotionally charged. Uh, the problem with that is what happens when you disagree with your client and you've gotten on their page for everything except for a couple things? How do you advocate that? If you are emotionally engaged with clients and you don't set boundaries and expectations for them. How do you tell them to do the right thing, to have clean hands like Andrea was talking about? How do you have that level of trust? I mean, I don't want any of my top employees in any of my businesses to tell me all the smooth sailing stuff. I like to give the, get the meat. And if you disagree with me, let's sit down. You tell me why. Let's, let's go through facts and let's get it out there and let's solve the problem. And so, you know, with respect to avoiding divorce um, and how we get away from it, um, you know, there's a lot of aspects there. We can touch on that later, but, but I just wanted, I just really wanted fundamentally people to understand where my head's at when it comes to the preliminary questions of whether you should file for divorce, whether you should file for a custody case. And my mindset as the lawyer, how I approach that. And toward the end of that, a part of that question too, Justin, is that sometimes divorce really is the better option, especially Mm -hmm. if there is a lot of conflict, especially if it's a dangerous environment for the party and that party's children. Yeah. And and that's that's exactly where where I've separated personal beliefs. You know, I, I really do fundamentally understand that you know, different people are equipped to handle different stuff, right? Navy SEALs can, you know, do a lot of different things than you and I could. And, you know, so when it comes to endurance and and driving to stay in that marriage, it's not that you're a weak person because you can't handle the situation. It's not that, you know, you're not as strong as the next person who stayed married. Marriage is very, very challenging in general, right? It's challenging for me. I I love my wife so dearly and and we have a great marriage. We got great kids, business people, all that stuff. Uh, But it's very challenging. And when it gets to the point where challenge becomes 
you don't exist. You don't matter. What you say doesn't matter. There's no intimacy. There's physical violence. There's substance abuse where you're ignored. Uh, when you are belittled constantly, uh, when you don't have someone rowing alongside of you the same direction to achieve your goals, when you can't see eye to eye on co-parenting decisions and or everything you do is dumb and it's undermining your ability to parent your children, when you've taken the steps, and they may be different steps that I would take or you would take, when you've taken the steps and, and or the party, party won't correspond and won't try to work with you, and you feel it getting worse. You feel the finances being secret or hidden from you. Uh, you, you. Your spouse tells you you can't go get that job or you can't go be an independent mother or father or, or do things that can better your family because it's, it's undermining the, the family situation um, and, and all that. I mean, that's where you got to sit down and think, is this really the person that, that we can make a life with? And the person um, that I want to be, right? Yeah. Again, if like when, when I think about myself, when you be, when you are codependent, you have your life surrounded about your family. Is that really the person that I want to be moving forward, living in the situation and being more than fifty percent unhappy? And but I think that's what Justin said earlier. The, the consultation or the meeting with a lawyer is a good is a good first step to see is because is this, is this somebody that you do not know that listens to the facts and can give you a total neutral. Um, opinion about what you're talking about compared to going to your friends, your girlfriends or your male friends, Our guys don't talk that much about it, but we women would go to a girlfriend and they, they tell us what we want to hear. But if you go to somebody, when you contemplate with divorce, you go to somebody that has experience and there are so many things you can do before you get divorced. And un unfortunately, sometimes it is, it is necessary. I went through it, but, but there's oftentimes ways and steps you can take to get back on the same path because there's reasons why at some point you loved each other when you got married. And then it's easy to forget in this busy world and all this noise out there, listening to others and the grass is always greener on the other side. I mean, if you look at, we, we talked about social media, we'll talk about social media in general. You look at all your friends on social media, their point, their post, their, their cool stuff about their marriage or their relationship. They don't post all the nasty stuff out there. So it's, it's a hard decision. But I think that's my, the first step. If you think about it, contact the lawyer, talk to them, and then based on that neutral input, then make a decision whether you should or have to. Yeah. And I, Mary, I love when I get calls. It sounds crazy, but I really do like when I get a call about a prenup. Okay. Not because it's self-serving. Candidly, I don't like drafting prenups because you know there's all kinds of stuff that goes in and I don't like putting a prenup in front of somebody else's face. I, I kind of tried to do that with my wife and she was like, huh. Uh, so, you know, when you're starting a life together, you know, especially younger people, and when you're out there trying to figure out, is this the person I need to marry? Okay. I mean, obviously you've got spiritual advisors uh, and, and other aspects there, family, friends that we've talked about, but, but I do think it's important um, to, to reach out to an attorney um, to just talk about, all right. And a good one won't just go, well, you need a prenup because da, da, da. I mean, I tell people, I like, dude, you don't have anything or ma'am, you don't have anything. Y'all are going to get a prenup now and it, you know, maybe it can help you in the future, but y'all, y'all are both on equal footing. It, the Texas laws are probably where you're going to want them anyway, other than, 
you know, attorney's fees or interim support, something like that. So I, I don't know. I don't steer them into the prenuptial conversation, but I do steer them into, hey, have you have you really understood each other's values here? Okay. Well, how are you going to look at the kid issues here? Or have you thought about if you start a business or you buy a house? Uh, or you refinance it and your mom is on the deed and uh, you know, have you thought through those questions? And I will tell you, I never get, well, yeah, we talked about that. No, you don't. And so really the first year of marriage for a lot of, especially young people uh, and probably anybody, I hate to use young people, but uh, you know, I, I get these questions a lot uh, from younger people uh, that are, they're, well, we've only been married a year and this is crazy. We're going through the, he wants me to put me on life insurance. I don't want life insurance or she wants to do this. I mean, the, the, the stuff that's like, wait, did y'all talk about that? No. Okay. And it's just like, that's a really good thing to, to go through. And before you get to the divorce attorney cons concept, right. I, I, I like to say we're, we're, you know, we're truly advocates for good relationships and, and assisters of co-parenting when relationships go sour or South. And so, I think the preliminary side of that can be great to, to, to reach out to as well. Well, I think that is a good wrap for today, you guys. So um, if anybody wants to get more information about how to deal with high conflict relationship or divorce situation, you can certainly contact the Sizemore Law Firm in Fort Worth at 817-336-4444. Or you can check out the website at lawyerdfw.com. And we also appreciate if you would follow this podcast so you get alerts if you want to um, listen to what we have to say in our next conversation, our next podcast. And appreciate any questions you guys have if you want to learn about other topics. So let us know. Have a great day and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to In Your Best Interest with Texas divorce attorney and entrepreneur, Justin Sizemore. The content presented here is provided for information only and should not be construed as legal, tax, or financial advice. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. 